0: Happy New Year, folks. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to 2021, and welcome back to the DC Beer Show. I am still Jake, and we are still available at DC Beer across social media and Discord. Stein tells me that I'm supposed to say that we're eager to continue our trend of quality coverage of the DC Beer scene. We'll kick off 2021 with a special guest in the show. But first, as always, Brandy, Mike, what are you drinking? Brandy, batter up.
1: Hey, so I always get very excited about doing our recordings because I'm like oh I'm gonna have all these beers (laughs) but I've been drinking super hard because it was a holiday so I wanted to chill and my lupus is flaring up so I'm sticking to just the beers that we're going to talk about in the show tonight and both of them are from Jailbreak Um, one is the White Russian which is a cream ale and I love cream ales and I love when breweries do cream ales the right way (laughs) and this is one of them and I love it so I'm snacking on that and then I had a little sip of it, but we're doing dusk till do- dusk, actually. Um, and I took a little sip, and I'm pretty pumped about it. So I'm trying to take it easy. But those that's what I'm drinking tonight. Mike, what are you drinking?
2: I am drinking Wolf Bite, which is a lovely beverage by Right Proper and the Capital Cider House. Capital Cider House is a cidery uh, on Georgia Avenue there in the Petworth neighborhood. And I wrote them up for Cidercraft Magazine a few years ago. This, I do believe, is the first blend of cider and beer that Right Proper or Cap City has put out. And so it's a 50% blend of Raised by Wolves, Right Proper's Pale Ale, and a 50% Brandy Barrel Age Newton Pippin Dry Cider.
1: Hey, hey, so hey.
2: It's brandy a makes everything better. <laughs> brandy. It's a fine cider out of this cask. They just released it like a week ago, and it's wonderful. It's, it's a very nice interplay of um, cider and beer. So that's what I'm drinking.
0: Like Brandy, I am also drinking Jailbreak. Why? Because Jailbreak's Rob Fink, lead brewer there, is our special guest. But before we just start kicking it off to guests and such, we have our first brewery opening news of 2021. And here to tell you all about that is Mike. Please do the honors.
2: Thanks, Jake. So, City State, City-State Brewing Company is coming to a neighborhood not far from you if you live off the Metropolitan Branch Trail. Randy, I, I don't think this will be too far from you. They're coming to Northeast, and they got their permitting, so you'll be able to check out their brewery uh, as early as the spring at, at 705 Edgewood Street, Northeast.
0: Walking distance, very important
2: that's it you want to be on foot or on bike city city states gotcha so they're hiring they're looking for a head brewer and a bunch of other positions they aim to be in production by march and have beer in hand in your hand by april and it's very exciting Um, when i was writing this piece jake tried to say mike this will be the only brewery opening in 2021 and i i amended that to say the only brick and mortar brewery because there may be some uh, sort of pop-up or indie launches we see there's going to be a, a, an Amtrak Joe Pilsner and a Madam Veep IPA coming from Occasion Ales, which Jake, I believe you're covering that for the site. So follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DC Beer, and we will keep blessing you with the nuggets as they come into our, as they fall into our lap and we'll continue to pass on the news and uh, 411 to you guys.
0: Yes, sir. First beer up from jailbreak is White Russian. It is a cream ale. It's got a little bit of coffee, a little bit of vanilla. And I had this beer before Rob Fink was at jailbreak. And I recall um, it being a little bit sweeter and a little less beer last time around than what it is now. Now, I think it's kind of like identifiably sort of like that blonde ale, cream ale mm. with mm-hmm. A bit of vanilla, and then slightly less coffee, and so it goes to me like beer, vanilla, coffee, as opposed to a previous iteration, which may have been the other way around. Brandy, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so I I haven't been to Jailbreak in a in a while, but I used to go fairly often, actually, because I really liked the the folks behind the bar, and you know, just you got I got to know some of the people pouring the beer from the taps and. Just, I like the vibe of the place. And so I, I was used to go there a decent amount and tried the white Russian and and the the cake, carrot, beer, the, whatever it was called, I remember. But um, they had some pretty good beer, but I re- remember their white Russian always being so sweet. And I, and I love a cream ale. So when I I tasted this this time around, I was very excited to have it. I think it's delicious. But yeah, shout out to Jailbreak. I mean, you guys are still going. I'm really happy about it.
2: (laughs) Still going. And I think uh, Rob is leading them in the right direction, the, the sort of cutting edge direction. You'll hear on the interview in a little bit, whereas a lot of brewers are adding lactose, you know, milk sugar, unfermentable milk sugar that yeast can't eat. White Russian actually has less lactose in it now than it did several years ago. So it's not just our palates playing tricks on us. In fact, the opposite, it is less sweet. It is more beer. And, um, you know, I think at at 5.5% ABV, it drinks much lighter than that. You know, I know that in this age of 25% uh, Imperial Stouts, 5.5% is nothing, but it is a significant ABV, but this beer is still somehow very light tasting despite coffee, vanilla, and um, a little lactose in it.
0: Speaking of 25% ABV Imperial Stouts, one of the other gel-baked beers that Rob was kind enough to provide is um, Dust Till Dusk, uh, this barrel-aged Imperial Stout. I think it's actually only 14.3, looking at the label, which means it's a weakling compared to DC Browse Wake Up in the Future or um, some of the iterations of uh, Goose Island's Bourbon County. But wow. uh, This is a beast of a beer. Um, It does not taste 14.3. It's smooth. It's got like that weird kind of cola nut thing going on. Little bit of carbonation, uh, more than some stouts, less than others. This is a kick in the head in a very good way. It doesn't have like a ton of an alcoholic bite to it.
2: I'm impressed that I'm not getting heat. There's no you know, heartburn or um, like habanero sting that a lot of these 12, 14, 16, 18, 20% stouts can get. This is this is really smooth, which sounds crazy saying that for a beer that's over 14%. Rob did, no- did notify that it's 75% bourbon and 25% rye. And I think what I perceive as a little spiciness really comes from that rye cask but it's very digestible. It's not too sweet. It's not too bitter. It's kind of like a Goldilocks stout, I would say.
1: I agree. When I first read it, I was like, oh God, this is going to be way too sweet. I'm not going to drink this because I had a socially distant beer share recently and Jake was kind enough to join my backyard around a fire pit. It was freezing, but whatever. We opened a Lovely bottle of the local brewery. They made a very sweet high ABV beer, and we took a couple sips of it and couldn't drink it. It's still in my fridge, like the whole bottle. And when I saw this bottle, I was like, "Oh, it's gonna be so sweet. We're not gonna drink it." I'm on my second glass of this, so I could drink this for a while, and it would it would uh, do a number on me, probably. But I don't notice that it's like, it's that perfect amount of like you constantly eating like a cracker and then, and then a bite of cheese and then a piece of chocolate or something like it's, it kind of, it has this up and down where sometimes you focus on the sweet and sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I can, uh, I'm going to have another sip of that. And then you're like, oh, it's, you know, paired it with the tail end of my food actually. And had like a cracker and cleansed it and you know, taste it again. It was really, it was really fun. It was like, I, I approach this as, you know, like a wine kind of cause it, cause it has that, you know, that punch. So yeah. good.
0: I mean, given that it has the same ABV as
1: like
0: yeah. a modern yeah. Zinfandel, uh, you do want, yeah. it, you know, five ounces at a time. Yeah. It's got a lot of
2: complexity. And so you could punch it up and do like where you could have a, a sweet dessert or a richer dessert like chocolate to go with it. But um, to your point, Jake, it's really not flat at all. It's actually got some good carbonation that would scrub fat from a Roquefort Mm. or one of those uh, fancy blue cheeses.
0: Yeah, some some, some of these newfangled modern stouts, they get basically like kegged still, bottled still. It's just like, it's all all viscosity. Um, But this, it's got some bubbles to it, very nice.
1: I'm actually going to go grab a truffle that my dear friend Jan Lestort, uh, who is the wife of Mike Lestort, if you guys know, if you're in the DC community and you haven't met Mike Lestort yet, you have to meet him. He's the most wonderful, sweet, kind, gregarious person, but he is a home brewer and he is the by far the best home brewer I've ever had. And his wife used to study baking and pastry in France. And she makes truffles every year, but because we're all socially distancing ourselves, she mailed me her truffles. So I'm going to go grab one (laughs) and taste the beer after I have some truffle and report back. (laughs) Cool.
2: That's a great idea.
0: Brandy's going to get a truffle. And while Brandy gets a truffle, Mike, do you want to introduce our special guest?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Rob Fink has been brewing beer for some years now. Speaking of Mike Lestort, Mike Lestort and Rob Fink are both homebrewers. They both are D.C. Homebrewer Club members, and that's how I originally met Rob. Uh, I think when I first met him, he was managing at pizzeria Paradiso, and we talk a little bit about that in the interview. Um, but this is really an interview for the beer heads out there. We really nerd out and talk brewing technique. And you do get uh, some behind-the-scenes information here. You get some proprietary knowledge rob was very kind and said oh it's not it's not a secret but um you know he he actually brewed three separate stouts to make from Dust till dusk the barrel-aged imperial stout and he talks about what he did to make those three stouts differently so yeah i i just want to say that rob is really moving jailbreak in the right direction and kind of pushing the envelope in the maryland scene but Instead of pushing the envelope in an offensive way, he's doing it in a subtle way with very mild tweaks to all these recipes. And we're very grateful he was so generous with with his time to give us all of uh, the tips and tricks and techniques and secrets you're about to hear with him. So with that being said, our interview with Rob Fink, sitting here virtually across the table from Rob Fink, who is a brewer at Jailbreak Brewing Company. Rob, thanks so much for being on the show. No problem. Thank you. Excellent. So full disclosure, I've known Rob for a few years. He and I are both DC Homebrewers Club members, uh, where I've got to try several of Rob's wonderful creations over the years. More recently, though still a few years ago, Rob helped me brew Polish Porter at the District Chop House. Uh, Rob worked under Barrett Lauer there. And so I reached out to Barrett to get a, a, a feel of, of what he thought of Mr. Rob Fink. And Barrett wrote, Rob is one of my favorite brewers to hang out with. His passion and depth of knowledge for beer, coffee, and food is truly amazing. I can't list all the breweries that Rob turned me on to, but Alpine, Hill Farmstead, Treehouse, and Trillium are in the mix. Rob, his wife Kate, and his friend Lewis kindly invited me to a few of their epic beer dinners. These are truly memorable experiences where they chose a theme and curate Rob's homebrew with multiple courses. Freaking amazing, says Barrett Lauer. So Rob, with the introduction, a glowing introduction from Barrett, tell us how you got your start in brewing, commercial brewing.
3: Commercial brewing was with Barrett in February of 2015, but years prior to that, I had been home brewing since the fall of 2008. Just got increasingly um, interested in the hobby, definitely geeking out on the science and chemistry of what was occurring. That passion kind of stemmed from my interest in coffee prior to getting into beer. That's, that was my first beverage love, and then beer came second.
2: That's very fitting given uh, some of the beers we'll discuss a little bit later in the interview, but you worked at Pizzeria Paradiso uh, uh, for some years before you got into commercial brewing. What's changed, in your opinion, about the Metro DC market? Because you were kind of behind the bar, behind the scenes managing at Paradiso, famous for serving um, Belgian beers, uh, international imported beers. You know They had a strong wine department and you were there for the ramp up of the strong beer department. What's changed since your time in the industry? Almost everything, <laughs> to be fair. I mean, a, a decade of
3: time has passed, almost a decade of time has passed between when I started at Paradiso and, and where we are right now. So I started there in the summer of 2011 Um, I was starting graduate school at the same time and was going to school full time and working there pretty much full time too. So I was very busy. But at that particular moment in beer, I would say even 2009, 2010, I started to frequent um, the Georgetown location of Paradiso and I befriended uh, Greg Gasker, who um, I believe is still at Oxbow now. That's right. And then we were, well, by the time I started working there full time, their breweries, like, um, from the west coast, like Deschutes, were in, I believe, in the area by then. You could get some Alpine stuff every once in a while. This is well before the Green Flash acquisition. But it was still nascent, nascent is the first word I, I think of when I think of the you're seeing 10 years ago, 11 years ago. It was There was really a dearth of local options. When I started at Paradiso, D.C. Brow was just about to open. The conversation around the restaurant was you could always get a great beer in D.C., but you couldn't necessarily get a, a great local beer. So it was one of the... If you want to compare the D.C. area to other great areas in the country for beer... Like you know, Philadelphia, Portland, San Diego, etc., Chicago, all of those metropolitan areas have a much long, longer-standing tradition of beer being brewed there. In addition to being a great beer market, and so in some ways, DC was the uh, an anomaly in that regard. That has definitely changed a lot since then, and breweries in the area now, I think, per capita, were kind of behind other parts of the country, but there's definitely some good stuff being brewed here now.
2: Yeah, I think nascent is the right word to use your words. DC was an anomaly, right? We had all of these great imported beers from the West Coast. I think of the importation of all the Belgian beers, particularly around the holiday New Year's calendar. And, you know, on the the shipping container with the Italian wine would be a Belgian, French, and Italian beer. Yep. But lo, but lo and behold, you had to go to Baltimore, to Philadelphia, to another brewing city um, to really get the quality product that we're seeing now in, in DC and Maryland and Virginia. Yep. So yeah, and, and I, I'm curious then, watching that change, watching the nascent scene come of age, you mentioned DC Brown in 2011, and I think, so Greg Jazger, who still works for Oxbow out of both Portland and Newcastle, Maine, I think Oxbow opens in 2011, if not a year or two before or after. And so we we have this explosion. And now, you know, you can order Oxbow for delivery, which is remarkable, given how hard to come by it was just five years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm wondering, uh, you know, you've started at Jailbreak. Jailbreak is in Laurel, Maryland. And I would argue, you know, that hub of Laurel, Columbia, kind of between Baltimore and D.C. was also nascent and then has begun booming as of late in the last few years. Um, you started at Jailbreak, they were already established. You've helped them come to assert themselves as a sort of cutting edge brewery. What have you seen change uh, during your time at Jailbreak, specifically at the brewery, that has allowed the brewery to sort of flourish into its well respected place in Maryland, D.C. beer today?
3: I think becoming contemporary slash a modernization of things. I think when when Jailbreak first started, it was 2014, and the business model of choice at the time was to start a production brewery that distributed beer. We we obviously know from the last six plus years that that is no longer (laughs) the uh, most popular business model to start a brewery, whether, you know, regardless of the size, really, unless you're big enough where it necessitates distribution. But the first couple of years of jailbreak was, you know, a lot of California ale yeast, a lot of beer that wouldn't be out of place in like a late 1990s brew pub, early 2000s brew pub, just very well-made beers, but nothing that was like gonna, nothing that would require you to think about it the next day necessarily. just good drinking beers. Like two of the brewers early on came from Dogfish Head. So there's a lot of influence from that brewery. And one of the, um, Ryan Harvey who started was a very first brewer. Um, He had to come from Dogfish Head and he had been an Alaskan brewing company before then. So just like a, I guess you call it a heritage craft brewery now. That's a phrase that people use. Like that was the initial era of the brewery. And then I came on in July of 2016. And that's when it started to we started to shift a little bit while I was at the chop house with Barrett. I introduced Conan uh, yeast to him. I uh, had never had a beer uh, fermented with that before. I had used it a bunch of home brewing. So we brewed some beers with that at the chop house. And we started with an IPA, but then it eventually used it in imperial stout, used it in the hoppy amber and bunch of other beers, because just really enjoyed the character of it. Um, That was something I also brought to jailbreak, because like I said before, it was all California ale strain. Esther production was almost frowned upon. And I was like, no, no, (laughs) I love Esther production. That was the first thing, introducing different yeasts. And then that kind of opened an opportunity to modernize some of the hoppy beers, which were probably being... There was double IPAs. If you go to Mitch Steele's IPA book, there was a lot of double IPAs that were being dry hopped around one pound per barrel, and that was just kind of the standard. I mean, now you you don't even dry hop a pale ale; you dry hop a pale ale with more than one pound per barrel. So we started dry hopping more extensively, using hazy beers, quote unquote, lots of wheat, lots of oats, and then I started doing like bar- working on barrel age projects creating recipes for stouts helping to create recipes for stouts that were not specifically engineered to be tasted on their own but they were kind of conceptualized as a blending component took a lot of inspiration from that from the firestone walker anniversary series Um, and there's a lot of brewers now who do similar things like marty scott the barrel guy at revolution in chicago and even Corey King, a side project and some other breweries that always release an anniversary stout every as barrel age. It's, it could be six, seven different threads blended together. That's the kind of barrel age beer I like to do. So we started doing that more often. And then I love barley wine. So we started a nascent barley wine uh, program that we had a release last year for the first time. And that's also conceived of in a similar fashion uh, brewing a barley wine, English-style barley wine base that finishes a little sweeter, and then I'm brewing one that finishes a little drier. You get different effects from that um, after the barrel aging process completes. So I have a tendency to find more complexity
2: in the final product that way. So that's kind of where I'm at currently. That's a great summary. And thinking about it, you introduce the Conan strain of yeast, one new strain of yeast, going back to the chop house. And you use that one strain in ipa and then lo and behold it actually works really well in imperial stout and it works really well in a hoppy amber ale so through one tweak multiple variations come from one change so i'm wondering you know speaking of change we know that things have changed at jailbreak kind of coming into their own as a modern brewer uh maybe going from the sort of quality made but safer or more heritage style of brewing into the more cutting edge Style of brewing. But I want to be clear yeah. because um, when we talk about side project and revolution, these are folks that are really on the cutting edge. You know, some some might some might argue a bigger brewery like Revolution, you have less leverage as a ship in the water, thinking about a canoe, you can maneuver, right? One person in a yeah. canoe, two people in a canoe versus, you know, 20, 200 people on a boat. I'm wondering about these threads. You know, you mentioned sometimes there'll be six or seven threads. So if you're Even if you're a home brewer used to one brew, you, you brew once, you ferment once, boom, there's your batch of beer. You're right. talking about six different brew days or seven different brew days to make one finished product that goes, in, in this case, uh, from dusk till dusk at jailbreak into a bottle with a wonderful wax dip on top. So we know this is something special. Tell us right. about what's changed, these special beers, what goes into them?
3: I think they initially started out as passion projects. Um, and then you have to exhibit a tremendous amount of patience with, with barrel aged beers just in general. And it's a little disconcerting in a way. You have to wait so long to see the final product. So, to make like recipe tweaks, for example. So, sometimes, you know, various threads are brewed before you necessarily taste the initial threads. And you kind of have to, you know, use a combination of prior experience and, you know, knowledge of brew house operations to get really close to achieving that final product before you can necessarily taste it, you know? So I think that's, that's part of it, but also it's seeking like, especially with barrel-aged beers, I think the first couple times you get various blends together, sometimes a difference of like 5% liquid by volume makes all the difference. Like there, I think the, enormity and intensity of, of a barrel-aged stout, for example, like that so little difference would make such a, an enormous difference, but it does. That was one of the big things that I learned once we started blending. And we noticed that just the, we were really, really concerned about the complexity of flavor as opposed to the intensity of flavor and letting that be our guide. And your palate, re- if you're honest with yourself as a brewer, your palate never lies to you. So I think basing, grounding so much of it in, in science with, you know, yeast strain, oxygen levels, uh, brewing various threads to finish at different gravities for blending later. All of that, it's definitely has a scientific foundation, but then what, what completes it? What's the punctuation to that project is really just based on raw sensory that we're doing as a group and, just kind of talking then. Like there at, at the end of the product, when it finally, you know, comes to fruition and materializes, there's not really any note taking. There's just like, you know, it's it becomes almost intuitive. So I've always I found that the transition from the scientific framework, which initiates the project itself to get to the final product. And that I find that compelling. I think that's what makes the blended beers Really intriguing to me.
2: We're talking about art and science, using uh, specific measurements to calculate. But then, to your point, your palate—that into it, what is inside—that that is much more art, sensing and tasting. Right. Um, so, for our listeners tuning in now, this uh, this will air on January eighth. Let's talk about dusk to dust, This special release, um, folks can buy it at the brewery, or they should buy it from their local bottle shop and. Tell us a little bit more about where to get it. I'm also curious, how many threads went into this beer? Just three. Just three. Just three. (laughs) Yeah. About three separate brew days went in and then barrel aging and blending those barrels in a a proprietary concentration. Only a handful of people in the world know the blend. So (laughs) it's not um, it's not
3: it's not a secret either, necessarily. Like, I think a lot of that, like. If looking from the outside, like, oh, you know, there's no proprietary blending technique. I mean, some of these barrels you can only guesstimate like how much has evaporated. We're not, you know, we're pulling a nail, we're not opening the top and looking inside the barrel and exposing it to oxygen. Where like this barrel is maybe one thread is um, two and a half years old and one barrel is like eight months but that combination works great, but maybe 20% of the volume has evaporated out of that older barrel. And we're kind of, when we blend, we're, we're tasting the threads together as if they're the, sim, the same volume. So sometimes it changes just slightly, but I think that it never is so far removed from what we thought, you know, the when what we were tasting, just tasting the barrels and then racking them to a bright tank, et cetera. Sometimes can be a little different, but ultimately isn't. But Nonetheless, the beer itself has, I think, two or three rye whiskey barrels. The rest are bourbon. There is some high rye bourbon in there, I believe, and weeded bourbon barrels. Um, Three different stouts. One has more simple sugar than the other two, a little more one-dimensional in its sweetness. Other beers have a higher roast character. Higher terminal gravities, lower terminal gravities are purposeful um, in order to achieve a, a more complex final product now, some of these, sometimes some of those beers individually taste really nice on their own. I mean, like, oh, why wouldn't you release that, you know, and it's am like, you know, I guess in the grand scheme of things, you could do something like that. But what I've learned from just tasting sessions for blending, like I said before, sometimes a very small percentage of a barrel just almost acts as a, intensifier for the pre-existing character like you're like seasoning the blend in, in essence so i think that is ha- is occurring definitely occurring in this year's the 2020 blend the rye whiskey component adds a nice underlying hint of spice it's bourbon dominant but we decided to include the rye barrels just because they really added a lot of they're a little sh- uh, sharper uh just in general and it kind of rounded the softness that the bourbon barrels were imparting, so that it was slightly more bittersweet than it would have been without the rye character. But in terms of where you can get it, I know this is being released January 8th, I believe the beer itself would have been released by then. and It's releasing on New Year's Day. Um, It's available in the tap room, and it's also gonna be available at various retail outlets in Montgomery County specifically because we have the right in Maryland to uh, self-distribute to Montgomery County if you're a Maryland brewery. Um, mm-hmm, so, success. So, so we self-distribute to Montgomery County. So I know for certain, the two places I know of already that are actually getting it today, which is the 29th of December, the Gillies in Rockville is getting some. I know downtown Crown and Gaithersburg. And there's going to be some other places uh, strewn about Montgomery County that are going to get it. It's not going out the conventional distribution channels. So unfortunately I won't make it to DC. They have to go through premium and it's just a a particular beer that we know is going to do better in the tap room.
2: But for the DC listeners, they could take a short trip to Laurel and pick up uh, from the brewery. Absolutely, yep. Yeah, and we encourage you to do so safely. Please wear your mask, please wash your hands. Um, Don't ever not wear your mask. We're still in the midst of a pandemic but they could order, you know, folks could order online or, or show up and buy. What's the best way to purchase from jailbreak? It is it is a show up and buy situation. But one thing I will say
3: about how the we've had to definitely completely rearrange the tap room. If you haven't been there in a year, it's going to look a little different inside. That's to, you know, accommodate the local county, Howard County uh, regulations regarding COVID as well as state regulations. And then some things that we've done to kind of go beyond that as well, we have done so. So I feel as confident as I possibly could in terms of having a safe environment for people to come pick up to go beer.
2: Excellent, I love to hear that. Well, thank you for taking safety protocols so seriously, both on the county and the state level. We we really appreciate it uh, for those of us with compromised immune systems out there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So speaking of the pandemic, the last question I wanted to ask you was, was actually submitted by our editor, Jacob Berg, and he wanted me to ask, he said, Rob, your job was an early victim of the pandemic and that you were furloughed last spring. How long did that last? And did the Paycheck Protection Program or other government intervention or programs play a role in being brought back on? It, he is absolutely right. It did. Um, I was furloughed.
3: Basically, right when everything shut down in Maryland, it was March 16th and I came back on April 25th, so about five weeks or so. In that intervening time, folks at the brewery were going through the PPP application process, and we eventually received uh, PPP funds. So one of the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, less than what, 10% of businesses received funds through that program, the the initial um, CARES Act. So we were one of the fortunate few. to be able to receive those funds. And then we also have received some Maryland state grants related to small businesses as well, in addition to the federal PPP. I feel incredibly fortunate because I know a lot, I have friends working in breweries like California and Oregon, and who still haven't been able to go back to their brewery that they were working at, uh, you know, since March. having a company such as ours and the people who run it being as conscientious as possible has (laughs) been advantageous to me, that's for sure, Um, in terms of regaining employment as as quickly as I did. Um, Because I know that some other people haven't been as fortunate in that regard.
2: Yeah, we certainly want to give credit where it's due. So credit's due to those who filled out an application received grant funding. I know some other breweries Uh, have as well very few between the breweries who needed it and the breweries who received it but um, thank you for disclosing that because it's always uh, I find that brewers in similar situations are sheepish they may talk to myself or or Jake Berg off the record um, but not want to be public about it knowing that there are so many others who are still hurting out there and and being mindful about um, the small victories in in the pandemic so Rob I just wanted to say thank you um we uh, kind of missed Special Lady Friend and the Cream Ale, but maybe in our to play us out because even if Dust to du- Dust, to Dusk sells out, um, but but the Hazy IPA and the Coffee Cream Ale are available in Jailbreak. Tell us a little bit about um, the Coffee Cream Ale and the Hazy IPA that you've had a big role in in creating, changing, and sustaining.
3: Yeah, first of all, I apologize for talking so much about barrel aged beer. I can go off on a tangent. No apologies necessary. But uh, yeah, those two beers, uh, the special lady is now our heaven bison feed the monkey was the number one seller for almost immediately since the brewery opened. And we introduced special lady friend in late 2018, November of 2018. I think I have that right. And our owner came to the brew, bringing a team. And said, I want to make a mosaic IPA that, you know, Um, there was no directive to make it hazy or what have you just wanted to make an IPA of the Mosaic. So that initial batch, I, I took, I kind of jumped at the opportunity to take the lead on the recipe formulation and came up with a recipe and my current, the current um, uh, brewmaster clay Baines, he, he kind of like gave the okay on the recipe and we brewed it, and it kind of immediately knew that we had, you know, something that, well, was I thought was special, and other people enjoyed it. Um, and it was a occasional release for a very short amount of time, like maybe two batches or something. And then it was pretty quick that we made the decision to make it a full-time beer. And we, got, we eventually got printed cans, which is a, a pretty big investment. You have to really be behind a brand to get a printed can made and it's now the number one selling beer of a brewery. I just think it, it's premised on a lot of hot flavor and aroma, not as much bitterness. It still has some bitterness, but I think some of the, some, a lot of these hazy, hazy beers in my opinion, they do, they still have moderate IBUs, um, but the terminal gravity is high enough where it provides more balance and you kind of, tricks your palate into thinking it's less bitter than it actually is. That's kind of the case with Special Lady Friend. And then, um, yeah, White Russian is a beer that predates my uh, time at jailbreak. But uh, Clay and I, uh, in the last two years, have really just pretty much completely transformed that beer. Um, It used to have a lot of lactose, now has very little lactose. We've made better coffee decisions. The methodology we use to get the coffee into the beer has definitely been modernized. And then the grain bill itself and the yeast, all of that has changed. We basically, in the fall, late fall 2018, early winter, we, excuse me, made the switch to uh, BSG uh, from Country Malt for our raw and at least our grain suppliers. And that made a big difference, and I think a lot of multi beers because we were able to use Maris Otter from Simpsons or Crisp. And in previous situation, Country Malt would have been Thomas Fawcett, but we liked especially uh, the Simpsons Maris Otter in particular, even tasting it against the Crisp or the Thomas Fawcett. We just thought it provided a superior flavor, and that kind of was the driving force behind changing that beer. So when you have it now, it's still a modest ABV, uh, generally speaking, but better body, better texture, and just, I think, an overall greater complexity of flavor. It's just making procedural tweaks and recipe tweaks to just add more vitality to the beer, more just a greater intensity of expression. Wanted to sing instead of speak, I guess, is a better way of putting it. So if you had that beer two years ago and you thought you enjoyed it, it is a, just a different beer now. And I, I think a much better representation of the style.
2: Well, that's great. And and we really appreciate you um, gifting us with the beers. Of course. It's very it's very it's great to hear you give the uh, historical narrative going from a brewery whose number one brand was a Hefeweizen to now uh, uh, this IPA being the number one brand. and And in that way, your modern brewery charts the trend. In the other direction, you're taking lactose out of beer. And that is running away from the popular trend nowadays from dumping more lactose in more beer, as many beers as possible.
3: That's one of the things that really bothers me about these, I guess, zeitgeisty beers, is that there's just like, there's so many, so many adjuncts going into the beer that what the beer was without any of that. I, like it worries me because the adjuncts, especially on a lot of kettle soured Berlin vices that have a ton of fruit puree in them, that those are the ones that that's the big culprit, in my opinion, that are just, you know, quality has gone up in general over the last 10 years, in my opinion, um, with respect to where craft beers has, has been going. But in some ways that is, you know, reversing course, you know, just with uh, the penchant for puree and other adjuncts that uh, are covering up, you know, fermentation flaws like diacetyl and acetaldehyde and other things. Uh, sulfur uh, is a big one too that I've found in a lot of these kettle sour burner vices that, you know, I don't want eggs with my, you know, raspberry burner vice. I'm sorry. So. <laughs>
2: Eggs for breakfast, raspberry Berliner for dessert. (laughs) Right, exactly. Well, Rob, it's been a real pleasure having you on the pod, and and we really appreciate all you're doing to make good beer and and make a decent beer better. So thank you for all you do. And listeners, if you're you're out there, I encourage you to check out uh, Jailbreak. If you haven't been to the brewery uh, in a while, you might be surprised by all the new beers, the new tweaks, the quality that's coming
0: out of the brewery. So we appreciate you, Rob. Thanks for everything. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Stay tuned for more from Rob later. Thanks Mike for chatting with him and thank you Rob for the beer and for your time. Brandy, Mike, it's the new year. What are you looking forward to in 2021?
1: I really am looking forward to, and everyone's going to say this and that's fine, but I'm really looking forward to being able to go to a brewery, any of them, With my friends, including Mike and Jake and Richard, and you know, and go up to the bar and get a beer and sit inside. Um, you know, because realistically, we're not going to do this until it's probably cold to get outside, but I want to be able to be inside (laughs) with other people and drink beer and hug you and just have fun.
2: I completely agree. I'm really much, uh, really very much so looking forward to. Sharing beers, sharing small plates, uh shout out to the Brussels sprouts and uh, the <laughs> cheese curds on T Street at Right Proper.
0: Jake, what are you looking forward to? I want to jump into <laughs> a ball pit of french fries and Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to going into Brandy's house if it is cold yes. uh, without oh. you know fear of contamination.
1: And being surrounded um, by all my plants. And, yeah, being and- surrounded
0: by plants as opposed as, a, as opposed to the very interesting um, cats that frequent her backyard. I would love to go to a beer festival at some point, perhaps oh. in the fall of 2021, where you walk from booth to booth and you see all of your friends pouring beer. DC Beer Week. Whoop, yes, whoop, whoop. like a, a DC yes. Beer Week that happens in person yeah. oh, as opposed God. to via Zoom. Most of what I'm interested in is like hugging my friends.
1: I'm gonna give you a thirty-minute hug, Jake. Yeah, no, like, I'll like, let you hold a beer in one hand, but then like after that, I'm gonna wear a know.
0: helmet with a straw, so that way I can hug people and I wear can be diaper-free. Yeah, yeah, I'll have the pens. It'll it'll be a whole thing.
1: Oh, uh, we're just gonna have a big for the old, old hug.
0: Hugs to commence let What, do it. I what if wait. we did
1: like a circle hug and like left hand was on each other's shoulders, but the right hand was still free for beer, so we can like constantly hug and drink? I'm just it's, oh, it's still brilliant. it's a work in progress. I'm not we'll, done with it yet.
0: We have we have plenty of time on TikTok to make this oh, sort of look viral, at my, challenging. Look at my thing night owl sweater. Oh
1: god, shout out to Night Owl. Shout out to Night Owl
0: representing.
1: So, update real quick before we say goodnight. I had the truffle that Jan Lestort made. And I just had the beer again, and the beer takes on a more raisiny character like like it gets it gets sweeter, but in a different way, it takes away the chocolate the the intense truffle chocolate it takes yeah. away from and it like focuses on the other flavors very interesting like and it it tastes more s- boozy right now. it tastes way boozier than it did
2: with the truffle,
1: uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Interesting.
0: Yes. Yeah. As it as it warms, a little bit more dark fruit, a little bit more toffee, a little bit more treacle, as the British or as a theory would say. Shout out to Mark Adroit the Theory. <laughs> and it's
1: still so fucking smooth. Good job.
0: <laughs> well done. Well
2: done, good... Rob Fink. I'll just say if you have a wine lover in your life, if if you have a friend that only drinks red wine and thinks they really don't like beer, you need to you need to get this beer from Jailbreak and put it in front of them. I, I feel like this is the crossover beer for whiskey or rye or bourbon or red wine you know if you if you're a big red wine drinker this is the the beer to bring them over to the dark side to the stout side
0: i agree (laughs) on that note we are going to sign off we're gonna have more from rob later i believe as always please check us out on the socials if you're instagramming your beer you can tag us over at dc beer brandy will see us brandy will see it brandy will like it brandy will repost it we'll comment on it in a non-judgy positive affirmation sort of a way (laughs) Um, you can also check us out on facebook and twitter Um, so we will see you later on in january (laughs) good night (laughs) good night